0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Thin Air Podcast. Today's episode marks a first. This episode will contain paid advertisements from a new sponsor. The decision to include ads is not one that Daniel and I take lightly, and is one that we have thought a lot about. We started this podcast because we love these stories. The unique way that telling the stories of the missing helps to give a voice to what can feel like forgotten cases and sometimes people. We are truly passionate about connecting the families of the missing with listeners like you. This year has been a big year for the podcast and in our lives personally. Jordan, that's me, has been living in the Czech Republic finishing up a Fulbright grant, and Daniel is finishing up his first full year as a high school English teacher. The podcast has grown enormously, more than I think Daniel and I ever thought that it could. And with the craziness that is our busy lives, we've had to make decisions based on what's really important to us in the future of our podcast. And what is important to us is creating the best podcast we can, with as much content as we can, because this work is so important to us as writers and creators. So far, we have only been limited by what we are able to do financially. These ads mark the beginning of a better podcast. Ads will allow us the freedom to expand, to have a staff of people to help us with research, recording and mixing, to get more stories and contact more people in each case, and dedicate ourselves full-time to the podcast in order to achieve our long-time goal of weekly episodes, which is what we've wanted since the very beginning. So before we do this, we want to say thank you. Thank you to all of our amazing listeners who have helped us to get to this point including and especially our incredible supporters over at patreon.com. Our Patreon donators have allowed us to get this far, and we couldn't have done it without them. That being said, these ads will allow us more time to provide perks and rewards for our Patreon donators in the future. So again, thank you so much, and we are so excited to get started.
1: Jordan and I are so excited to announce that this episode of Thin Air is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron is a meal home delivery service with a wide array of menu items. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com thinair you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals from blueapron.com/thinair.
0: Today's story, the story of Donald Taylor, who went missing in January of 2016, is one that left me baffled. But of all the missing persons cases I have covered, his story is one that truly lives up to the title of our podcast. Donald Taylor seems like he truly vanished into thin air, leaving few clues for investigators to pursue and narrators like me to divulge. Let's start with what we know. The last time Donald Lee Taylor, 33, was seen, he was walking down Kentucky Street in McKinney, Texas at 2 a.m. on the morning of January 3rd, 2016. He was attending a party with his sister, Shirley, when, according to her, he left after becoming paranoid and agitated.
2: It was freezing cold that night. Um, it was probably, you know, high 50s, maybe low 60s, but um, for Texas, it's pretty cold. And uh, he left. Um, according to Shirley, and the neighbor who saw him with only a um, T-shirt and a pair of shorts on. No shoes. I think he did have a pair of socks, but T-shirt, T-shirt, shorts and socks. And that was it. No jacket, no shoes, didn't have his wallet, nothing.
0: Another thing we know about Donald Taylor is that he's from a big family. The voice you heard is Sandra Taylor, one of Donald's six sisters, six out of seven siblings total.
2: We're a very um, big, close-knit family. Um, we, yeah, we're all very close, love each other very much.
0: I spoke to Sandra at length about the night that Donald went missing and the impact his disappearance has had on her and her whole family.
2: It's, it's been a little rough lately. It seems like this stuff seems to be hitting me more. I do want to say up front that I may get emotional, and if I do, I do apologize. I'll try to, you know, keep that in.
0: Donald was visiting McKinney that night. He lived in Princeton, Texas, which is nearby to McKenney. It's about 17 minutes away. He lived with his mom at the time and was between jobs.
2: He was working for a moving company. He had quit. Did he have any hobbies? He liked to read
0: and watch movies. He really liked Stephen King books and John Grisham. Around the time you went missing, what was your relationship like? Did you guys talk often?
2: Um, We did have a little bit of a falling out a couple of years ago, but yeah, we were back to our close selves, talking almost every day, hanging out all the time, spending a lot of time together, talking a lot. So yeah, we were on a good basis.
0: What is he like?
2: Oh my gosh, he's very outgoing. He's the life of the party. He is so funny. Just everybody has such a good time around him. He loves to laugh. He loves to dance. I mean, he, he, he really is the life of the party. He walks into a room and everybody just lights up. He, he makes everyone just feel so good.
0: He likes being around people?
2: Yes, very much. He's a social butterfly, definitely an extrovert. Donald was not only my brother, he was one of my best friends.
0: Things were good between Sandra and Donald when he went missing, but life hadn't always been so easy.
2: Um, Yeah, the schizophrenia. Um, Yeah, I, you know, I was with him many times when he would have episodes where um, he just got very paranoid and um, thought, you know, people were talking about him or, you know, something, they were like doing stuff behind his back or trying to get at him. You know, he felt very paranoid that just, everybody was out to get him.
0: Did he have any, like, psychosis? Did he, like, hallucinate that you know of or anything like that?
2: Um, Hallucinate, I think, um, maybe, like, one time or maybe two times. He did tell me that he had saw Mm
0: -hmm. some
2: things, but it was more so hearing than seeing.
0: In addition to his struggles with schizophrenia, Donald also had problems with drug addiction. But Sandra doesn't think that either of these were a major factor in his disappearance that night. He had been clean for nearly a year, and things were looking good in his life.
2: I personally don't think he was, but that's just my opinion because, like I said, he was doing so good. And, I mean, I've never seen him, you know, doing that well with it. I mean, he he had a good head on his shoulder. He was, you know, excited about life, about... Yeah, having a life and getting away from meth is what he was on, methamphetamine. But yeah, he <laughs> he did not seem like he was going to relapse. He did he didn't have a reason to. He was happy. I mean, things were going good. He was um talking to a guy, um Jorge, he he is gay. He was talking to a guy um who's from my theater that he really liked. I mean, things were good. Yeah. He had no reason
0: to just up and leave. Yeah, or to use meth. Had he ever taken off before?
2: No, never, ever. My brother, would he would not do this. Anytime he's anywhere where he feels uncomfortable or he doesn't want to be there any longer, you know, he says, I'm going to leave, or can somebody take me home if he's with someone? You know, he doesn't just up and leave, ever.
0: All of these elements came together the night that he went missing. Donald was with his sister Shirley that night, something that was troubling to Sandra was that his friend group at the time?
2: No, not no, not really. He hadn't been hanging out with her at all, which is why I was so surprised that he went with her that night. I guess he just really wanted to go out and do something and nobody else was doing anything. So that's just, you know, he settled for doing that. It was me, him and Shirley. We were the closest ones. It was our little circle kind of, you know, I lived with them many times. We were all roommates many times throughout our lives, very close. And then Shirley got really bad with her bipolar disorder and she's, you know, a meth addict and she just won't quit, you know, using meth and, She's just ruined so many relationships in the family that everybody's been pushing her away, including Donald. And um, yeah, that's, again, why I was just so surprised that he went and hung out with her.
0: So what happened that night, according to Sandra, is...
2: He was with my sister, Shirley Taylor, that evening. Um, They had gone to a birthday party I was sitting at home and my other sister, my oldest sister, Mary, had called me and told me that Donald was missing and that they didn't know where he was. So I called Shirley and Shirley (laughs) gave me two different stories um, within like the 30 minutes that I spoke with her. She seemed to be frazzled and a bit all over the place. But according to her, they had gone back to her boyfriend Victor's house in McKinney after the birthday party and they were hanging out and she said that they were in the bedroom and she said that Donald began uh, began to become paranoid, said that there were people outside looking in on them and um, that he wanted to go check it out and that he, she said he went outside but he came back and then she said she went and got in the shower and then when she came out of the shower he was gone. but she didn't call anybody or anything like that to let us know that he was missing. And she never called me at all until, I mean, I didn't hear about it until my sister Mary told me. And when I spoke with her, her response was, well, you're the only one he would have called. So I really don't know why she didn't call me. I mean, there, me, myself, there's pieces of the story that are just missing. A lot of it doesn't make sense. The first time Shirley told us the story, um, She said that she didn't get in the shower, she fell asleep, and when she woke up, he was gone. (laughs) It's just, it's kind of all over the place, and then one of the neighbors said that they saw him walking down the street at like 2 a.m. that morning. They said that they saw him walking off in the direction heading towards 380 on Kentucky Street, but uh, they didn't see him come back after that. That's according to Shirley and the neighbor that saw him.
0: Donald's sister, Shirley, is the last person who knows him to see him alive that night.
2: Donald doesn't do that. He does not leave a place like that without shoes. I mean, who does that? Nobody does that. For him to leave his wallet there, plus his bag with all of his medication, he takes that everywhere with him. He would not leave his bag of medication anywhere if he planned on leaving. He was wearing a cross necklace that he never takes off, ever. And I mean, he showers with it and everything. We couldn't find it the first few days. And then all of a sudden it showed up. Shirley found it all of a sudden. She said it was like behind the bed, which we looked behind the bed and it wasn't there. I think Shirley knows more than what she's leading on. But the police have interviewed her and they think, they state that um, they don't think she knows anything. But she's very, um, very good liar. She's a very good actress.
0: With so little information in this case, and with Shirley's inconsistencies, Sandra has only a few theories of what could have happened to Donald that night. He was at a birthday party. Whose birthday party? One of Shirley's friends. She
2: is um, known in McKinney as a very well-known drug dealer. I think that maybe he was at the party and something happened to where you know he wasn't. Un- he was uncomfortable with what was going on and maybe wanted to leave. And then there was confrontation and something happened
0: that night. There was Donald, Shirley, her boyfriend Victor, and the woman whose birthday it was. Of course, there were many people at the party who could have interacted with Donald. Shirley claims that at some point they left this party and went back to Victor's apartment. What is Victor like? Have you met him before? Is that still her boyfriend?
2: Yes, I have met him, but I haven't really conversed with him. Um, He speaks Spanish mostly. That's his first language. He does not really speak English. He communicates to Shirley in Spanish. So I've only really seen their body language between each other. I've seen him you know call her a whore and her punch him while he was driving so they obviously don't have a very stable relationship um mom says he's not a good guy but you know that's a guy dating my mom's daughter so i don't really know i don't really know him that well i think that there was an argument of some sort between either donald and the guys at the party or something like that and then you know they beat him up. You know in bad condition, because a few days afterwards, my sister um, was kind of like going at it with Shirley. Say I can't remember the exact words, but Betty had said something to Shirley, and Shirley's response was, "What do you expect me to do? Beat my neighbor or something? Beat up my neighbor?" And our our thoughts were like, "Why? Why was that your response? Why would you say that?" And yes, if it's to protect your brother, we want you to do whatever you can. Like, why would you have that thought?
0: When was the last time you talked to him, do you remember?
2: I talked to him, I guess the day after yeah. I mean, they seemed normal. I mean, it, it was a little strange that he was there with Shirley. I, I thought that that was strange, but he seemed to be doing okay with the fact that he was there. And, I mean, he would have he would have gotten on the phone and said, Hey, you know, Shirley's, you know, using, or, you know, if she was using in front of him, he would have left. That in my opinion, because of where he was at in his recovery. I mean, I've Donald, you know, Donald's been through this before, but he has not gone that long, you know, and been doing that well to just relapse like that again. I, I don't know. And I mean, I know, I know drug abuse, (laughs) a lot of members of my family have gone through it. So I know what it's like. And, he just, he didn't seem like he was, I mean, like I said, I can't say for sure. I mean, I don't know, you know, it could have happened, but I just find it highly, you know, unlikely. If it did happen, which I, I like I'm saying, I doubt it. But if Donald did um, relapse, perhaps maybe he OD'd because he hasn't been using for a while and he's not used to it. And um, maybe they freaked out and didn't know how to handle it and you know just covered it up
0: if that's the case i mean why why would Shirley keep it a secret do you think she would be protecting someone or why would she be so evasive
2: because she's a drug addict and those are her dealers drugs are more important to her than her family obviously um uh, the first few days you know none of us really knew what was going on i mean I knew the moment she called me that she knew something and that something was up because I could tell that she was fake crying and time I asked her a question, she would act like she didn't hear me to give her more time to think about the response. If I'd ask her one question and then wait about 30 minutes to an hour and then ask her that same question, it would be a different answer.
0: How does your family how's your family been dealing with the situation?
2: they're They're believing her because she's their only link. like she's the last one who saw them she's the only one that they can get the most information from so they're trying to stay close to her but i don't know i think my mom believes her and i think my oldest sister mary kind of believes her but i don't sometimes i do wonder you know with how you know how many issues shirley has with her mind that i'm really wondering if she has convinced herself that she does not know what happened I'm wondering if, yeah, she's drilled it into her head that she didn't see that. And because of her drug use and because of her bipolar disorder, that she actually believes it. And maybe she does. And maybe that's why she's so convincing to the police. I mean, I would think that investigators who have so many years of experience interviewing people would be able to tell if they were
0: lying or not.
2: I know Shirley really well, so I can always tell when she's lying. So,
0: Do you think Shirley would talk to us? um probably
2: maybe if i could um call my mom and talk to her i bet my mom could probably get her to do it
0: of course one of the first things i wanted to do after speaking to sandra was to speak with shirley and to have her tell me what happened as she saw it like what happened that night as shirley doesn't have a phone of her own sandra and i tried to arrange something with their mother that i would call and the mother would hand her the phone in a sort of surprise interview As this got closer to happening, though I wanted to talk to Shirley, it just didn't feel right. Interviewing someone with a mental illness in a coerced, somewhat sly way might make for interesting podcasting, but I just couldn't do it. I didn't feel right about it. Let's suppose that Shirley is telling the truth, that Donald left the house that night alone, possibly paranoid. One theory could be that Donald, in a situation where he was around drugs and possibly people using drugs, that he could have relapsed, become extremely agitated and paranoid, leaving the house in a schizophrenic episode or other mental health crisis. If this were true, Donald would have left on foot. He didn't have a car of his own. McKinney is a town of around 130,000 people. Maybe he met someone while walking who took him somewhere, a neighboring city or perhaps Dallas, which is only 40 minutes away. From there, he could have gone anywhere. This of course is a possibility that Sandra and the family have entertained but lack the resources to investigate on their own. Though the family has conducted their own search they have come up empty-handed and Sandra feels that they have only gotten resistance from the police. What has that whole experience been like? (laughs)
2: Um, Not great in the very beginning because of you know Shirley's drug abuse, and Donald had a history with it. The whole story, they just didn't want to help. They were like, it just seemed like they were like, oh, drug addicts, like, we don't want any part of that. But then, like, once we started contacting people and getting more people, like, news media, like, news stations and stuff like that involved, then the police were, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, let's build a case. So then they built the case, and they just like they're not calling us back at all whenever we call them with questions or with tips or anything like that they take forever to get back to us it just seems like they don't want to mess with it at all and my family you know we keep going to the area where he was last seen to hand out flyers to look anything my family was there one night i wasn't there this time but they were sitting there in the car and the cops pulled up and they came up to the window and said what are y'all doing here and my sister said um we're handing out flyers and they go No, you're not. You're here harassing him, Victor. And uh, my sister said, we're handing out flyers, sir. And she held up the staple gun and said, see? And his response was, oh, if you want to get smart with me, I'll find something to arrest you for. They told us that we were harassing Victor and that we were not allowed, even though they were parked across the street in a parking lot of a business. They told us that we were not allowed to be over there. It seems as though the police are actually helping Victor, who is also a drug dealer, more than they're helping my family.
0: What the police have done in this case was actually more complicated to find out than I thought it would be. I reached out to the McKinney Police Department for an interview, and while I did get to speak to Sergeant Anna Shelley, the McKinney Police spokesperson, she did not want her voice used for this podcast, which was more than a little frustrating. She spoke to the detective assigned to Donald's case and tried to give me as much information as she could, which admittedly was not much. Sergeant Shelley's remarks on the Donald Taylor case and discussions of what her comments mean right after the break.
1: I'm going to go to blueapron.com. The first thing that I notice is that it's very nicely laid out and Um, I can see the ingredients up top and they look fresh and they look nice. What I really like about Blue Apron is that I essentially have two full-time jobs. I work as a teacher and when I get home, I work on my podcast. So... There's not a whole lot of time in there for me to, you know, go to the grocery store, get the ingredients, or even think about what I want to make. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is always bringing you the best. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash thin air.
0: The first thing I learned after speaking with Sergeant Shelley is that Donald's case, though a year old and with no current leads, is not considered a cold case, that it is still, quote, an active investigation. Sergeant Shelley went on to say, quote, we had initially, especially followed up on every lead we had regarding the whereabouts of Donald Taylor. They, detectives, worked with a couple of different agencies trying to follow up on Leeds. They went to different cities, different jurisdictions trying to find him, and he just hasn't been found. At this point, our patrol officers know his name, that he is missing." End quote. When I asked Sergeant Shelley about these different cities and jurisdictions that they went to, she said she didn't know offhand what they were, but that Leeds and at least two other cities were in the files of the initial investigation. This to me says that police may have received a tip that Donald was potentially in one of these cities. I asked Sandra about this, and she said that police had not shared this information with her or her family. Sergeant Shelley continued, quote, We have units that go out and do homeless census, and every so often they go out and check the homeless camps, and he is always one of the ones they ask them about. We have exhausted all the leads, and we don't have any more information coming in. If he was in McKinney, we would have found him by now, end quote. This was something I wondered about in this case. What are the chances that Donald suffered some kind of mental health issue and became homeless, lost to his family and all who know him? How regularly does that happen? Could Donald have just dropped off the radar, living amongst a homeless population somewhere, as Sergeant Shelley seems to suggest? Finding information on this topic was harder than I thought it would be. Little research exists about the missing and homeless, though it is a trope in popular culture that this would be a way someone could disappear. It is well established that the homeless experience higher rates of mental illness and drug addiction than the general population. According to a 2009 report from the National Coalition for the Homeless, the homeless have rates of 20 to 25% of some form of mental illness or personality disorder in their community, compared to 6% in the general population. The study also notes that schizophrenics are particularly vulnerable to homelessness. The data on people who are considered missing and homeless is more complicated, largely because of the idea of personal agency, that adults are allowed to go missing of their own volition. We've talked about this a lot on our podcast. But I question this idea, as does the website Outpostforhope.com, an online resource for families of missing people, especially for those with mental illness. Their response to the question, what if the missing person doesn't want to be found, reveals a flaw in how law enforcement treats missing adults with mental illness. Quote, it is a misperception to consider that a person with untreated mental illness is lost by choice. He or she would not be living on the streets and able to make good decisions for his or her care. Many people who are lost and have untreated mental illness simply do not have the proper discernment for his or her own safety. It is extremely frustrating for concerned family members who run into obstacles time and time again in obtaining the right care and support in getting their lost loved one to safety. Oftentimes, the obstacle of the right to privacy equates to nothing more than the right to be crazy and on the streets. Sergeant Shelley did not agree to a formal interview with me, just a quick question and answer session. She did express frustration at the lack of information and what detectives are able to do in this case, again saying it's possible that Donald went missing voluntarily, quote, when a person goes missing and there's no foul play or medical reason why we have to find them immediately, we exercise the idea that maybe they wanted to leave. They are adults and there is nothing illegal about that. Where do you feel like the investigation is at now? Do you feel like it's an active investigation?
2: No, I don't. Our communication about that is they've given up. They're looking to us for answers. That's Anytime I ask them, you know, what's the deal with the police? Have they said anything? Are they helping? Their their response is no, they're coming to us for answers.
0: (laughs) When I asked Sergeant Shelley if foul play was suspected in his case, she said, quote, we don't know. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. At the same time, there is nothing to confirm that is or that is not the case. There's just not enough information to determine what happened either way. So whether he willingly went off or whether there was foul play, there's no way for us to know. We've been open-minded to that possibility." End quote. Despite this, I can't help but think that there is at least some evidence that Donald wasn't in the best frame of mind that night and it is rather concerning that one of the last people to see him has given multiple versions of the events surrounding his disappearance. Even if he did go missing voluntarily, that doesn't mean that he isn't at risk. The last thing I spoke to Sergeant Shelley about was the concept of an active investigation, what the day-to-day looks like in a case such as Donald's. Sergeant Shelley said, quote, it just depends. They, the detectives, have several cases that they work. I wouldn't say they look at each case every day. They have enough cases that they know what's on their plate and it's always on their mind. They are always looking for opportunities for leads. There's not a set frequency of how often a case is looked at. It depends on the caseload, what they've got going on and who they are talking to, end quote. For this episode, I wanted to interview a detective in this case to get more of a perspective on what they go through, because it's been a recurring theme we've discussed on this podcast, that the situation for many families with police is incredibly frustrating. There's a lack of communication at best and gross incompetence at worst. And I can see how missing persons cases in particular would be frustrating to detectives, with little information coming in and multiple cases stacking one on top of the other, But I can't help but wonder where is the responsibility here? How do police keep up relationships with families? Is that a priority? All of these questions were a bit too in depth for the short conversation I had with Sergeant Shelley, and I left with more questions than answers. And in the meantime, Donald Taylor is still missing, still an open, active case, and he's out there somewhere. How's your family been dealing with this situation? It's been it's been
2: really, really difficult, especially my mom. I mean, Donald, he's like her baby. <laughs> he you know, he was living at home with her, so they spent so much time together and yeah, they're they're very, very close, so it's it's really hard, you know, even for us to just go over to mom's house and see her because just looking at her you can just see all the pain that she has in her heart.
0: Donald Lee Taylor has been missing since January 3rd, 2016, and was last seen in McKinney, Texas. At the time he went missing, he had dark brown shoulder-length hair and a light beard. He has an Aries tattoo on his left wrist and a cross tattoo which says Mom on his calf. He has hazel eyes, which are described on NamUs as, quote, dark hazel with green and brown tints. For a full description and photos of Donald Taylor, check out our website at thinairpodcast.com. If you have any information in regards to Donald's disappearance, please contact the McKinney Police Department or check out the Find Donald Taylor Facebook page. Contact information and links are available on our website. We would like to thank Sandra Taylor for speaking with us about her brother, Donald. Music today was provided by Chris Zabriskie. You can check out his music at chriszabriskie.com. Additional music has been provided by a friend of ours who is very secretive and does not want to be named. Thank you and join us again soon for the next episode.